I'm your host, Haley Crow, and this is Facilitating Voices, an outlet podcast on the Chatter Network. On this show, we discuss difficult topics surrounding mental health, social justice issues, interview other social workers, and listen to people's real-life experiences and exposures to trauma. Hey everybody! Before we even get started, I wanted to give you a little background on me and let you know that while I'm knowledgeable on these topics, I'm not yet a licensed clinical social worker. I'll be finishing up my master's in social work next November. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about homelessness. I want to take a moment to acknowledge acknowledge my producers, Max Fosberg and Alex McCauley, who are with me and may be jumping in on the conversation throughout the show. Today, we're going to uncover common misperceptions, talk about reasons that lead to an experience of homelessness, and get ready to have a guest next week who's very special to me who has experienced homelessness himself. Homelessness is especially significant to me as I've been working at a local shelter doing street outreach for two and a half years. Outreach is where my team and I go into encampments to meet people where they're at, people who are just like us, the only difference being they don't have a roof over their heads. Now, I know right off the bat, I'm going to have people who think they're not just like us. They're hobos, bums, drug addicts, and felons. I want to challenge you on that. We are all one disastrous bill away from being homeless ourselves. I want to challenge you even further to think about how many of us were one disastrous bill away before the pandemic. So I'm going to start with some numbers for our locals in the Pierce County area taken from what's called the point in time count. This is done annually, where homeless service providers and volunteers spend one day surveying all those experiencing homelessness to try to get an accurate representation of the homeless population. They spend one full 24-hour day in encampments, on the streets, and in shelters. I personally served as a team lead in 2019, which is the year these numbers are reported from. Now, keep in mind, we know these numbers are grossly underrepresented. However, in Pierce County in 2019, there were 1,486 individuals who were counted as homeless. Of those 1,486, 38 were counted as female, 46 were people of color, 25% were families with children. Almost half, at 47%, stayed in an emergency shelter, with the other half being broke down into unsheltered, transitional housing, and living in vehicles. So when people are surveying um, throughout the point in time count, they ask people, what happened? How did you get here? And the three main causes that were stated were one, lack of affordable housing, two, inadequate income or employment, and three, eviction. So just north to King County, um, Seattle ranks in the top five cities with numbers of individuals unsheltered in the United States, with Tacoma not far behind. The New York Institute reports that on a single night in January 2018, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development collected nationwide data to determine that there were now about 553,000 homeless people across the country, or nearly the same number as the entire population of Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I just want to put it in perspective a little bit. I'm an able-bodied 24-year-old 
but I worked two jobs while in grad school just to be able to afford my own apartment in Tacoma. Imagine you're a woman with two to three children working two jobs to make ends meet, trying to leave a domestic violence situation while also struggling with mental illness from years of abuse and trying to find a place to rent. It's near impossible. So I want to pick your brain real quick before we get further into the episode, Haley, on just why you think this area has such a strong homeless um, representation as far as the nation goes. Excuse me, because you would think that in an area that's, you know, so convoluted with bad weather and um, poor situations throughout the year that people would try to be leaving this area. So I think you could break this down into like a multitude of things. Yeah, people might want to go someplace warmer, but we already know that California has one of the biggest populations of homeless in the United States, and Washington weather may not be that bad compared to other places. I mean, I was in Spokane last weekend, and I feel like I spend all my time thinking, Tacoma's so horrible, it's so rainy, but you just have to put it in perspective, too. I was in Spokane, and it was 21 degrees, so then you think, wow, Tacoma maybe isn't even that bad. Um... But, you know, people might be here because of family resources. People come to Washington thinking, you know, you hear Seattle has all these job opportunities and then you get here and it's not all it's cracked up to be. So you could look at it from a multitude of different things. So with that being said, we're going to dive right into some common misconceptions about why people experience homelessness. I'm going to pull from research as well as my own personal experience from my life and employment. So the first common misperception is that the majority of people that are experiencing homelessness abuse drugs and alcohol. However, it's believed that only about 20 to 40% of those experiencing homelessness have a substance misuse issue. I'm not going to lie, some of my clients do have a substance misuse problem, but not all of them. Many of my clients have stated that they never used drugs until they became homeless. And I want you to just for a second imagine that you are... A female, maybe you're the same age as me, you got in a bad relationship and now you're homeless. And uh, while I don't condone drugs at all, I want to make that very clear. Imagine that you have walked all day to try to find food. It's been raining, it's cold, and someone offers you drugs. And you know that those drugs are going to numb the pain. Tell me with complete confidence that you wouldn't even consider touching the drugs. Now, again, I'm not condoning drugs, but I do want you just to, you know, think about it for a second and put it into perspective. Um, Living on the streets can be life-threatening, and individuals are in survival mode, wondering where their next meal will come from, how they'll shower, or even use the restroom. Using drugs is often a response to their experience of being homeless. How often do you see drug use on the street? I'd say maybe half. You know, I have a lot of clients that don't use drugs. Um, You know, alcohol is pretty prevalent as well, but not everyone. I mean, I could name so many clients, you know, off the top of my head that don't use drugs, Um, but you do see it. And I think it matters on location too, right? Some of my routes are in more impoverished areas or more high crime areas, whereas other areas you see it way less. So the next common misperception is that they're all dangerous and violent. Um, in the two and a half years I've worked at the shelter, I've never had a serious, serious incident of a client becoming violent towards me. 
Um, those experience those experiencing homelessness are far more likely to be victims of violence, especially women. Um, I had a client just last week. Uh, she had someone throw a rock through her window. We had just helped her to get a new windshield, and it was someone that wasn't homeless that threw a rock through her window for no reason other than just complete bias. Um, and shocker, this client has no substance problems. So the perpetrator was just someone who, you know, you could say was a hate crime. Um, so this client in particular, she keeps to herself. She never leaves a mess around her vehicle and she, she doesn't even use drugs. She just doesn't have a home. So when you and your team are on the street doing outreach, um, I imagine that you have this sense of confidence after doing it for a while, but what are some of uh, the things you look for when approaching either a, an encampment for the first time or a potential new client, how you kind of gauge their level of maybe hostility or if they could be dangerous? Yeah, so for me, you know, I have training, but even, you know, we go out with volunteers that have maybe never done this before. So I do training on de-escalation um, and what that looks like is being aware of body language, you know, mirroring body language. I do always tell my new volunteers, you know, pay attention to what's in their hands. You know, they might have a weapon, um, but typically the weapon isn't for us. It's for their own personal safety. So we do a lot of training. Um, we always announce ourselves and who we are um, so people know we're not just someone walking into their camp. Um, but yeah, a lot of training goes into that. But really, it's a lot of de-escalation techniques, too. Um a simple thing is kind of mirror eye contact as well. So don't stare straight in someone's eyes. You know, it might make them kind of dodgy. Um, little things like that. Great question. Um, the third mo common misconception is that bad choices led to their homelessness, which kind of goes back to what we're talking about with disastrous bills. You know, I could get hit with a big bill right now and I'm working and I would not be able to keep a roof over my head. Um, something else to think about is I also work at an alternative high school where upwards of 25% of my students are currently experiencing homelessness. Between my job at the shelter and at the school, I rarely hear stories about a bad choice being the cause of someone being homeless. I hear stories about divorce, loss of employment, medical issues, and domestic violence. Students who are involved in the juvenile justice system or who, are, or who are in foster care are also more likely to be homeless. I frequently see students who are sleeping on their friends' couches only to get a, in a fight with them and have that situation blow up in their face and suddenly they have nowhere to go. So maybe I got kicked out. My buddy says I can come sleep on their couch and we're in high school. We might get in some silly drama, but they're the only place I have to go. And if I get in a fight with them, my chances are I might be on the street. And I see that all the time. Um, so leading into that, I really do want to spend some time talking specifically about youth homelessness. Um, it's where a lot of my research has come in and a lot of the main focus of the work I do. So in 2018, um, Morton wrote an article that stated that approximately in Washington state, there were 51,800 youth um, who were experiencing homelessness in some capacity or another. Uh, there are many different factors that contribute to youth homelessness being such a widespread epidemic, um, but obviously one of the biggest contributing factors is that there's also no clear definition of what homelessness is. 
Um, and let me break it down a little bit what that means. So when you're talking resources, policy starts to come in. And if there's no clear definition of what homelessness is, that means that there's no clear definition of who can provide resources. So there's two main um, kind of ball players here. You have the United States Department of Education, which defines homelessness as students who are involuntary living doubled up, meaning with strangers, friends, families, in hotels, motels, or subsidized housing. And that's where you get that couch surfing um, doubled up, which is what we see most of the time with students. Um, however, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, does not take doubled up um, into account and does not count that as youth homelessness. So in the school system, most of my students who are doubled up, they're considered homeless. But if I went outside to look into like federal money for resources, they wouldn't be considered homeless. Um, so it really puts a damper on being able to help these students. And youth homelessness goes up to 25. So even that's a huge range of you know, youth and young adults who are outside of the school system who are um, still considered homeless. Um, so in the school system, one of the big things is the McKinney-Vento Act, which defines unaccompanied youth as those who are not in physical custody of a parent or guardian. Um, the McKinney-Vento Act is one of the main places that you draw resources from, uh, and where it just really gets tricky without having clear definition. I also want to point out that LGBTQIA youth make up almost half of the homeless youth population. So youth who identify as LGBTQIA are disproportionately represented in the homeless youth population, and it's also estimated that almost 60% of these youth are youth of color, representing a clear disproportionality amongst the population. So I have a quick question just as it pertains to kind of the times we're living in right now in COVID, um, whether you fall into the McKinney-Vento Act or you're LGBTQ, what what sort of um, opportunities do these people have to find resources right now with libraries and, you know, access to in-person meetings with counselors kind of being compromised? Yeah, so this is where it gets tricky. Um, within the school system, a lot of us have had to really switch We've had to start using our personal phones, getting Google Voice numbers to be accessible. Um, but most of the staff in the school system aren't working in their building. Um, so it does make it a lot harder, especially if, you know, typically you would go down to the counselor's office and go talk to her and you might say in a conversation that you lost your housing. Um, we're losing a lot of kids and the homeless numbers are increasing. A lot of our families have had to become doubled up. They lost their housing and now they're sleeping with um, family or other relatives. And that's just in the school system. Um, across the board, even in, you know, Tacoma, one of the main um, resource centers has been shut down since March for homeless youth. So it's been really difficult. People have had to be really creative in the way that they provide services. But the truth of the matter is that we're losing a lot of kids and youth right now um, and not knowing where they're going or how they're getting services. So it's hard out there right now. And it's not, I don't have a great, you know, cherry coated answer for you. Um, 
So when we're talking about youth homelessness, we have to really think about what led the youth here. We talked a lot about, you know, focused from an adult standpoint, but Bender reported that 79% of youth who had experienced more than one childhood abuse before they left their homes and in turn became homeless. These experiences have been positively correlated with symptoms of PTSD and depression. When a youth has had multiple experiences with childhood abuse, they were also at a higher risk of being victimized on the streets. It's important for us to really think about the implications of being homeless at this age. And, you know, we go back to the resources that are needed to help these youth. And we're having a different conversation now than we would have if we'd done this podcast a year ago. I'm curious then as to how many youth clients you have and on a nightly or even weekly basis, how many youths you come in contact with when you are out on the street? Um, on the streets, less. Um, there is a great youth shelter in the Tacoma area that typically we can get anyone in there. So we're seeing a lot of youth in that shelter. We stop by once a week just to go interact with them. Um, you do see youth on the streets and a lot of times they don't want to tell you how old they are. Um, which is another tricky thing. You know, I, I don't know how old someone is off the street. And the first time I meet them, if you go up to someone and say, Hey, how old are you? Right. It might put them on the defense. So it takes getting to know them a couple times, which means they have to be in that same spot. So it's really tricky. But typically, if we do have a relationship with the youth on the street, we can get them into the shelter, um, which is a great resource in our area. I guess I have a quick just follow up on that. Whether it's youth or adult, what what would be one of the quickest ways to, to gain someone's trust to have them open up? So we have kind of like a list of questions. If if you were to come volunteer with me, I'd tell you, um, start, you know, by introducing yourself. Don't ask their name right off the bat because typically cops go out and no hate to cops, but they go out and they may ask, hey, what's your name? Looking for warrants. So I might say, hey, my name's Haley, what's yours? Um, and from there that might let their guard down and start asking, where are you from? You know, oh, I'm from Stockton. Oh, cool. You know, what led you out here? And and just really asking non-invasive questions um, to start building that rapport. Um, we're going out with food and water and, and articles of warmth. So that right off the bat kind of sets the tone for, I'm here to help you. Um, I have no ulterior motive except for, except for to help you. So that's how, from my side, how we do it. Um, it's, and it really is anything social work. It's all about building rapport with people. Um, so I know all of this is really heavy and I threw a ton of information at you. So now you're, whether you're listening as a social worker or just someone who wants to learn more about social issues, I want to help give you some tangible things to do to help your community and our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness. The first thing you can do is keep snacks and water in your car. Instead of handing out money, hand out tangible items. I always keep blankets, water, and food in my car to hand out if someone's on the corner. Now, I don't recommend going out to do street outreach on your own with no experience, um, but there are ways to do this safely. Um, And then I will uh, also do a shameless plug for anyone in the Tacoma area. If you really want to get more involved, shoot me a DM and I can tell you how to start volunteering with my program. We go out five days a week now, actually, and we go out all over Pierce County and we provide food, water, we're bringing people to shelter um, and it's just a really great way to get involved. Um, the second thing you can do is 
reach out to your local shelters to see what their current needs are. In almost every major city, there's a mission. Um, It might be operating a little bit differently than mine do, but there's a lot of shelters right now who are operating at limited capacity due to COVID, and they may have new needs. Our shelter operates primarily on volunteers, and in March, we had no volunteers for a while. I was working three jobs in school and going and volunteering in the kitchen just um, to make sure that the meals were going out. We're serving 300 meals a day, um, and places really need volunteer, so it's an easy way to get involved. You could be creative. Some places, maybe you don't have the capacity to go in, but maybe you could make blankets or you could just make some PB&Js, and stuff like that really helps an organization to be able to continue. The third thing you can do is educate yourself. Pick up a book, talk to someone who's experienced homelessness. Remember that homelessness is just an experience. It's not a defining characteristic. The fourth thing you can do is challenge yourself to look at that person on the street corner with new eyes instead of thinking, wow, that person looks like they're a drug addict and they're gross. Begin to wonder, what has that person gone through? How could I help? The fifth thing you could do is advocate for better policies that support affordable housing, mental health, and community resources. I know I talked about it a little bit, and it may seem really scary, but it's not as hard as it seems to get involved in policy work. There's an app called Five Stars, and you just type in your location, and it'll literally pull up for you hot topics, who your local representatives are, and it'll draft an email or a letter for you to write. And the sixth thing you can do is get connected in your community. In Pierce County, there's a homeless coalition that meets every Friday, and we've continued to meet virtually. Um, And what this looks like is we have homeless providers present, we spread awareness, and we work to tackle ending homelessness. Now, maybe you have a coalition in your community, or maybe you could start one. We started ours, you know, a couple years ago, and... Just be creative in how you get connected in your community. So, whether you're going to take what you've heard today and organize your own outreach, or perhaps just look at that individual on the corner asking for change a little differently, remember to do it in a safe and respectful manner. Remember, homelessness is not a disease. It's not an indictment on a person's character. We are all just humans trying our best to navigate our way through life. Thanks so much for listening, and I will continue to discuss homelessness on future episodes because, I'll tell you, we have only scratched the surface on this topic, and it's really near to me. Stay tuned in for weeks to come for discussions surrounding other sensitive issues. These are crazy times in which we're living, and I want to help in any way possible. Until next time, I'm Haley Crow, and remember, be kind and stay humble.